I met someone at the coffee shop today who listened. Really? Yeah. Love that. He just said, he saw my truck. He said, hey. I'm like, so what do you do? He's like, I do digital real estate advertising. I'm like, so you don't have anything to do with dirt? No. I just like what you do. Cool. That's pretty neat. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Think about it though. You're taking principles that can be applied across any industry. Yeah. So I don't, I think you could be agnostic to dirt. In fact, I would say this, like I'm agnostic to dirt. Sure. I love what we can do for the dirt world. All the, all the principles work the same. Sure. But at the same time, we don't give a fuck about anybody else. It's just dirt. Like, and I don't want to get distracted by, ooh, this formula could apply over here as well. Like, no, no, no. We're just going to dominate the dirt world. We're going to tailor everything to the dirt world, period. Sure. Zero, zero desire about anything else. And I think that's one of our big competitive advantages and the reason why I think we can go dominate the digital space in this industry that's never, frankly, ever been touched digitally. Like, we're going to do something that's never been done before. And I think because we have so much focus on just this one world. Sure. So if it applies to everybody else, cool. But everything we do is just for the dirt world sure. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, and with our big plans and this and that, everybody gets all excited. Ooh, wow, this could apply to GCs and this could apply to them and this could apply to them. And I'm like, yeah, it could. But until we dominate in the dirt world, I don't want to think about anything else. And that's, that's why we're going to dominate the dirt world because we're focused on the dirt world. And they, these people are very proud. You need to be you need to be meeting them where they are and focused on them is, is what they desire. And then the dirt world too, it's not a little niche area. It's no. a half trillion dollar industry. So if I can go digitize a half trillion dollar industry, okay, I think that's, I mean, I'll be able to pay the fucking bills. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I guess where I was going with that is, is some of the problems you're facing aren't just a dirt world problem. And, and what I mean is look at the, the job scenario, the lack of, you know, we have a trickle a faucet that's just barely turned on to get good new candidates through right now. So a lot of that's a societal issue. We have to pull out of the dirt world to say, how do we shift our energies to, to help educate Joe public on, Hey, we're, there's a shortage. Correct. Cost of living is going to go way up because of this shortage. If we don't have effectively address it from a societal issue, you know, go start at grade school, educating them and getting recruiters into the system, you know, teaching them how exciting it is to be in this and how much you can get paid. It's, it's yeah. not a dirt world issue directly. No, right? well, but that's why I'm excited about like that guy I met today who's in real estate. That's, that's what we need to do. At the, it's counterintuitive. I think if we focus on the dirt world, we're going to reach people outside the dirt world. I don't, sure. I don't know how to explain all that well. But like I used to be, and I've explained this before, I used to be pretty, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but embarrassed about my background because I was raised by, in, in, by a white-collar family in a white-collar place. I mean, I spent half my summer in Aspen, half my summer in... Cape Cod. It wasn't, wasn't a rough childhood. My dad was a lawyer. I had nothing to do with blue collar life, period. I didn't like, like we did nothing. There was no hard work or anything like that. And I don't, you know, people hear that and people have have said this all the time. Like, Oh, Oh, okay. Like even, even uh, like my dad got a new car lately that he bought himself, you know, worked his ass off, really cool car. And someone said, okay, Oh, that the whole company makes sense now. Now that because your dad's a cool car, because he's paying for everything. I'm like, dude, I wish he was paying for everything. It'd make everything a hell of a lot easier. And I wouldn't have to go, I wouldn't have had to cash flow this fucking thing for three years now. But but that's also, and I've I've started to talk more and more and more about it because I have no business being here. Absolutely not. Should never have even thought about construction as a career. And yet there I was. Why is that? How can I tap into that and translate that into getting 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of people eventually involved in the industry. Sure. That have no business being in it. Whose grandpa wasn't on a dozer for 40 years or whose dad doesn't have a construction company because has a dying breed. But I think that perspective is so different. And that's why I think you're uniquely gifted to be the person to lead this charge is you haven't been part of a three, four generational company. Yeah. You, you love this industry, but you're seeing it from a different perspective. You want to you wanna help revitalize for the long term, 50, 100 years from now, not just today's margins. And that's what I think most companies are worried about is like the next next quarter, next year, maybe. Sure. So that's where I think this is different. You're, you're on a mission to change it from a different perspective. And that's where I think your background is actually why you're qualified. And, and I'm probably very similar, like, you know, in the, in the professional world I'm in now, like I grew up farming, grew up farming. My dad was a computer IT guy. I hated computers. Yeah. I was the guy dirt biking, doing all that kind of stuff outside farming. And then I did military. Then I did law enforcement. Where were you farming? In Wisconsin, dairy. Oh, really? Yeah. Dairy farming. So before school, four o'clock, I get up, milk cows, go to school, come home, milk cows, go to hockey, over, over. Your whole, whole childhood? No. That's was, a classic Wisconsin upbringing right there. It is, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah, that's what everybody does in Wisconsin. We love our cheese. Yeah. And, I, and it was mainly like high school years. I mean, I did some of that growing up younger years, but mainly high school. Sure. Yeah, that's... Uh, there's a lot of me that wish I had something like that. And I actually want to... Like, I want a ranch with a bunch of animals for that reason. Sure. To teach my kids <clears throat> how to care and work and do stuff they wouldn't normally have to do living in a city. Yeah, even now, like when we lived in the kind of metropolis area, we actually like would take time and go and volunteer at a farm because like working with your hands is so important. And sure. there's a spiritual transaction. When you touch that earth, not to get all like hippie or whatever, but yeah. there is, you take your shoes off and you go and work the land. There's something that grounds you with that. And there's a, there's something that you can't really get anywhere else. I agree. Well, and, and just food too. It's like I eat eggs every morning. You forget that thing comes out of a, a chicken. And until you see a chicken coop and how eggs are made, you're like, so that's where they come from. That is just crazy. I thought they came in a carton. Like they actually come out of a chicken and someone has to put them in the carton. Like you for, you just forget where food comes from. And that's, it's the same thing with infrastructure. We've just been, we've just had it for so long now. We don't think about electricity. We don't think about running water. Sure. We don't think about having a roof over our head because we've always had it. Sure. So we're completely disconnected from the essentials of, of human life now. And the easier life gets, the more we complain. The more we get <laughs> totally. ap apathetic and complacent, the angrier we get. Totally. But life should be so good. Yeah. Well, it's like when I get all worked up sitting in traffic, I'm like, why am I so worked up right now? Really? I am, I'm worked up because I have to sit here for five extra minutes. Like, I need to chill the hell out. But people get so worked up. Or, or you lose power for like, God forbid, six hours. You don't have to do yourself. Like, shit. What do, I, what do I even do? I don't, I, 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 like, what do I do? I don't, I don't even know. Do I have candles? Can I, can I light candles? Are they going to burn the place? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sh oh, shoot. Okay, I have this candle. How do I light it? Okay, yeah. I need matches. Well, sh shoot, I don't know where the hell the matches are. I haven't used matches in six months. Does Uber Eats bring matches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, uh, okay, grew up on a farm, milking cows, Went to the military right after high school. Yeah, 9-11 happened. I was in eighth grade. And I, like, that day on, I was like, all right, I'm doing military. Like, it, it affected my DNA. Really? Yeah. Really? And I knew nobody, not a single person affected, like personally. Why, why was, 
I th- what what did it for you? you know, I mean, it's I, obvious. But. Well, I think the culture in Wisconsin is kind of like Texas. It's You wouldn't see it because the news portrays a lot of very left-wing bent perspectives, but you have a lot of grounded. In fact, 98% of Wisconsin is very conservative. Sure. See, so a lot of the farming construction background individuals, blue collar is, is predominantly, you know, the trades there. Um, you have mining and stuff as well. But so Wisconsin and Texas, when I joined the military, was the number one and two states for um, recruitment into the military of all branches. Hmm. So I think you just get in your in your core and the DNA of that area drives a very patriotic person. Um, but when 9-11 happened, I remember sitting there, my teacher walked in, um, someone knocked on the door and uh, you couldn't hear the conversation, but the papers in her hand just dropped. And I was like, it was super eerie. And she turned the TV on and all of a sudden, like the first tower had just been hit. So we're watching it real time. And as an eighth grader, you don't know how to do with that information. I mean, let alone being an adult, right? Um, well, if you're reminded about five years or whatever, I had a teacher that was like, no, I guess fifth grade, so three years for all those mathematicians out there. <laughs> um, I had this teacher that was, so he was a Vietnam era veteran. And, and most of those previously that I encountered were very toxic and hostile towards the military and government. And he was very proactive to say like, yeah, some shitty things were done. Like we get treated like crap, but it's not like everything was lost. Yeah. And he instilled a lot of values about serving and, and what that could do to a community. Um, so anyways, uh, he, he planted a lot of like positive vibes about the military and what it could do for a person. And if you don't have people that are willing to, to join, you don't have a country. So everything else we're doing is for not if we don't have a solid um, defense system. And it's the personnel, right? Sure. So anyways, 9-11 happens and it, and it truly affected me. Like my, my DNA was different. I knew that day I was joining. Um, and Patriot came out around that same time. I was telling you this morning on our run, like, you know, Mel Gibson, like he is the, uh, the swamp Fox. He's the, I, I'm my, one of the things about me is I'm, I'm a disruptor by nature. Like I don't like status quo, you know, whatever I was popular, I always go their direction. I, and I don't know what it is. Um, am I a re- rebel by nature? I don't, I don't know, but I watched, uh, the Patriot and I saw the way he did things. Like he saw, you know, us going, you know, neck to neck with the Redcoats continually getting slayed. He's like, well, bag that. Like, Why? So he started fighting in the trenches and the mm-hmm. swamps and, you know, hence the, the swamp fox. So he is the original founder of the Ranger Regiment. So when I saw that movie, I started really studying, you know, the Ranger Regiment and what they did, what their mission was. Um, and uh, my brother was already in. So um, that really drove me to the Ranger, you know, creed, if you will. Like, I just really liked that, that environment, the mission they were on. Sure. It was just different. And I, uh, being, going against the grain, it's interesting. I've always somewhat been like that. Too. I mean, I started a company and I feel like you need a little bit of that. To, to do, <laughs> a little bit? To do, yeah. to do this. Um, it's, it somewhat sucks when you're younger because you want to fit in and you want to be part of the tribe, so to speak. Sure. And you just, you stand out. I, at least I stood out like lower school, middle school, high school, even college. I started to get a little bit better once I started to learn about myself in college, which was super valuable, really valuable four years. I've talked about it. Um, but then you get into the adult world and you're like, oh, this actually serves me quite well to be like, ah, so you guys are going over there. Screw that. I'm going to ho- go over here because I think this is the better way to go. Yeah, I think education is important, but you have to ask the question of why. Yeah. And I think that's where I've always gone. I got a degree as well in the process between military and law enforcement. And, and it served me well. It's got me more pay. It's got me more opportunities. But it wasn't like the silver bullet. And I think that's one thing we're being fed this, this lie in a generation right now is like, this is going to get you your path to success is this degree. Correct. And usually it's just more of a kind of a vacuum creating a certain ideology and a people group rather than really the education anymore. It's more of like, you know, uh, we want to we create a certain type of persona 
And I feel like education is actually skewing people from wanting to work hard. So it's not the person, it's the system we're putting them into. Totally. Well, and the, but the system is designed to just get as many people through it as you can. So if you create a narrative that says you'll be successful if you go through the system, shoot, that's pretty compelling. I mean, even like the, there's a, the reconciliation bill going through the, the government right now. There was, a, there was a provision in there to get community college paid for. Okay, that sounds, that sounds good. I mean, I, regardless of where you're at, sure, community college, great. It was, it was struck down. Why? It was struck down from lobbying from the traditional colleges. They don't want people going to community college. That takes out of their, mm-hmm. their pockets. They want to go to the four-year college. So they don't want people getting community college for free. Are you kidding me? And once you start seeing how that's played out, like, man, this is a, this is a corrupt system. And these are people out for themselves. It's not about education anymore. It's about money. Dude, look at like healthcare, like, you know, at its core for me, like a fundamental level, I, I want, I want every person to have access to good healthcare, affordable, right? I do. But if you look at human nature, when you give something for free, what do they do with it? Sure. Can, can you handle something for free if you don't earn it? And I guess I'll qualify that by saying, you know, look at emergency, emergency rooms right now. You walk in, the triage center is full from people that have minor coughs to a, a Band-Aid type cut. But if you have no accountability in that process, everybody drives to that because it's easy. It's, it's, it's an easy way to go and get care right now versus waiting. For, let's say it's a Saturday and you, you have a cough and you want to get some medication. You likely don't need to go. You can wait till Monday, go see your primary care provider. But if you don't have to worry about the bills, you're going straight to the emergency room. So what happens with that is they don't pay as it is. It costs more to get actual care. So when we go and we pay for our services, it costs a lot more. The quality of care is actually going down. And it's not that the people don't, don't care, but they're overwhelmed with the volume and they don't have the ability to, to match that anymore. There's just sure. this tipping point. And that's one thing I'm concerned about in society in general. The more we push towards this socialistic uh, society, we're, we're not looking at the building blocks. Like the DNA of people, we can't handle it, which is why every socialist system has always it's failed. We might see some data points that are successful, but across the board, without America being the free capitalistic society it's been for hundreds of years, you wouldn't have any even like a, a tenth of success with socialism in other European countries because everything they're doing is on the backs of success of America and our technology from medical to construction, everything else we're doing. We've allowed our companies or countries rather to thrive because we've been the, uh, the tip of the spear with, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit to advance like you're doing right now. Sure. I, I think you're batshit crazy, quite frankly, like what you're doing. I agree with you. Like from a standard, like that's very like, yeah. you're running a business against the grain hundred percent and you're going to piss a lot of people off. Like that's, well, even, I mean, I was on a call this morning with Dan. He's like, this plan's pretty risky. I'm like, dude. Sign me, sign me like, up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, of, of course it is because we're trying to go. And that's the big thing is, is if we're going to go try to change an entire industry, to do that without risk is, is, is not possible, let alone thinking that it's possible. That's, that's just insane. So the, the, the more risk, the better, as far as I'm concerned. We can do it smart, but shoot like yeah there's a lot of risk but there's a lot of upside here too pretty easy to me i don't know what going back to rangers though you go uh so you enlist right out of school go to basic yeah right out of high school yeah so you're bright eyed bushy tailed oh yeah i'm 18 years old i'm ready to go man ready to go uh you go to right after basic so you go, you go right into so i went to a couple of like there's just a holding pattern so i had to go to a couple of like javelin school for instance it's i never used the thing in real life but there's these small little schools they send you to fill the time 
Um, and then I went to airborne school. I think it's a three-week Like course. Javelin is in the... Like the weapon, anti, the weapon anti, system. anti-tank, fire and forget Those kind of thing. Those are pretty, pretty damn cool. I got to shoot one. It was it was cool. It was like $20,000, I was told, per round. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> cheaper now, but I'm like, we just shot this round that cost twenty grand at a, at a dead tank. Sure. But uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. So I went, went from there to airborne school. It's about three weeks, and it was fun. It was pretty easy. Um, and I was lucky because my brother had really pushed me because he was already in, so I kind of went to him, hey, what do I do? What do I need to do? And so he had really set me up for success. So I got in there and I was, I was already a hard worker. That was already, you know, a given, but, um, you know, ruck marching 30, 40 miles before I got into basic training. It's not very common for most people. So that's one of the things that breaks a lot of individuals is like, so you're doing that before. Yeah. Oh. So like I had a rucksack, all the, like, I wouldn't say all the gear, but enough to know how to get yourself in shape. Like, you know, a, a weighted vest. Sure. Um, I would carry like something, a log in my hand to, you know, emulate the weapon system that you have sure. to carry. So, you know, airborne school is a breeze. Um, then you go to RIP. So that's, it's changed now, but it's called the Ranger Indoctrination Program. Um, and I, I know that your SEAL buddies are going to want to kick my ass for saying this. I'm not saying it's similar or the same thing as BUDS, but some of those programs they go through for their vetting process, it's the Ranger equivalent. Um, and I'm sure you've heard range, I'm a Ranger all over the place. And there's always this kind of this ongoing debate of what is a Ranger. You have Ranger School, which is a school. It's a premier leadership school, and it's phenomenal. Like, I've been through it. It's awesome. Um, awesome is a word, I guess. <laughs> um, but so the Ranger Indoctrination Program was a five-week program. that I think we started with 150, 140. We probably graduated 50-ish. Yeah. Um, and then so that that's when you get selected to go to Ranger Battalion. So there's three of those. Um, and I went to a second bat out in Fort Lewis. It's Washington. When do you technically get your tab? So that's Ranger School. Okay. So, you know, fast forward to, to get into the Ranger Regiment and similar to the stories I've heard about being a SEAL, it's, it's not, it's easier to become a SEAL than it is to stay a SEAL. Same with the Ranger. It's, it's easier to become a Ranger than it is to stay a Ranger. So when you get there, you're like, you know, you're starting to get in this lax mode. Like, all right, I made it. You got my tan beret. I'm, I'm feeling good. I've graduated. I'm one of the, one of the peeps. And you get there and your life is hell. Like yeah. it sucks. Like I remember one time I didn't, this didn't happen to me, but similar things. This guy gets locked in his wall locker for a weekend. Like uh, he's hazing, these read up passages. Like it's from that to getting smoked to pulling volcano guard for, you know, overnight to make sure the volcano doesn't blow up. Like those are small trivial things. What is the volcano? What like, is the volcano guard? Like Mount Rainier. There was this mountain. So oh, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of seismic activity happening out west, right? Sure. So we, we had a company bar and you had to sit out there at the lawn chair overnight or on the weekend even, depending when you pulled the shift. And essentially make sure the it didn't blow up. Sure. Yeah, that's important. You need to notify important the people. Work. It is. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I was in Costa Rica one time. I think I was like 14 years old. I was I was somewhat young. I went there with two of my friends for whatever reason. No parents or anything like that. And we were with a bunch of other kids. So it was just, it was like a Spanish kind of thing. Learn how to speak Spanish for a few weeks. But you're a bunch of kids and you're sure. kind of just fucking long. <laughs> and we went to this one resort um, and the volcano was Arenal, like the famous volcano in Costa Rica. And the thing erupts like every few hours. So we sat outside of the patio of the hotel room, which faced right, like the volcano was right there, watching the damn thing erupt all night long. And it was wacky. That is awesome. <laughs> so cool. I mean, you can see lava pouring out the top of a mountain with noises associated with it. And you're just like, damn, like that. That's something else. Now, Rainier doesn't do that. If it does, it's it's very catastrophic. If it right? does, like, like Mount St. Helens back Seattle's in the 80s. Yes. And yeah. 
Seattle's toast. Yeah, that's we can re, we can restart though. You know, <laughs> I, I think Seattle needs a little bit of that. <laughs> I, I don't want anybody to get hurt in the process, but if they evacuate, you know, and then we restart, maybe it's not a bad thing. I, yeah. Last time I went to Seattle, I'm like this this place needs a little bit of a clean slate. Maybe Olympia. Maybe Olympia can get a little bit of a refresh as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you deploy multiple times. Yeah, yeah. So I get there and. Um, I don't remember how long I got there before I deployed, but I deployed as a ranger to uh, to Afghanistan. Uh, my first deployment was awesome. Um, well, for the most part, my uh, we were traveling around quite a bit, chasing bad dudes. And uh, the cool part is like rangers and seals work together, and and we happen to work with one of the better echelon seals teams. And um, so we did, you know, as a ranger team, we wouldn't have typically or platoon typically got the mission sets we got, but because we were partnered with the right seal team, we got some pretty kick-ass missions. Um, like even at one time we didn't get him, we didn't get to get him. It was political at the time, but like Jason Bin Laden, like been on missions knowing where he's at and we we pulled back and set up a two week, you know, planning session and, and had 82nd Airborne come and put a perimeter on the freaking mountain. And it we didn't we didn't want the guy, in my opinion, but who who might have say as a private. But anyways, um, so my first deployment, my my brother's in Iraq and he gets blown up over there. So when we're chasing bad dudes, we don't have cell phones back then. You know, we don't have sat phones, like maybe some officers do. Sure. Um, so we didn't get to call home super often, didn't have internet. Um, but I remember getting to, uh, I think it was Bagram Airfield, but I think that's where we went to stage. To ch- we were chasing this package and the intel we had went cold for a minute. So we're like, let's go and stage there, wait till he pops back on our radar. Um, and essentially use like their cell phones and we'll have like C-130, I think they're C-130s, we'll be flying overhead, right? And every time their cell phone, they'll make a call, um, they know the signature of that cell phone. Mm-hmm. And the aircraft uh, becomes the, the, the antenna that it, that it picks up. It looks more sexy than, the, than on the ground tower. So we'll, we'll track that guy via technology. Well, oftentimes we'll lose them. So we lost this guy. I don't know who it was, quite frankly. But uh, anyways, we, um, we staged there for a bit. I go to the MWR, which is where like the phones are, you know, internet, whatever. So I went in and... Uh, Remember what AOL was? Like the, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So AOL was a thing back then. Is that even around anymore? I don't know. I think since you someone... You can still pay for the email. Yeah. You can. It's like 12 bucks a month. You do that on purpose? My mother-in-law does. I'm, I, I'm sorry. That's kind of a flex nowadays. <laughs> if you true. have an AOL email, I think that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> it means you've been in the internet for a yeah, while. Yeah, that's, that's I've, true. I've been around the block. That's true. That's that's a good point. I got I got MySpace still, so that's a thing. No, I kid. Um <laughs> No, so anyways, uh, we get there and there's a resting message that was like, your brother's been blown up. And it was a random number. I didn't know who it was. And it was pretty catastrophic. I'm, I'm probably 19 years old. And 19 is young. Like, looking back now, 19-year-old should never be in Afghanistan carrying machine guns. No. It shouldn't be a thing. No. Um, but I remember seeing that. I'm like, him and I are best friends. Like, growing up, we golfed together, played hockey together, farmed together. Like, you were 16 months apart, I think, give or take care of the two, you know. Um, so anyways, uh, I end up, end up traveling back there. They sent me to Iraq to go see him. They're like, at this point, we think he's still alive. We don't know all the details, but Hey, let's send this young ranger off to see his brother. He has no other, you know, family around, whatever. So I end up chasing him kind of randomly through the world and end up back in DC. Um, cause the whole point is to get him to back to the state side. Cause we have the best care and we can take care of them. And, yeah. um, was it like Bethesda or yeah, yeah. Walter Reed? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You've been up there. Uh, around there. Yeah. That's a, I would love to go up there with you one time. I think you'd, you really enjoy based off you guys background. And there's a lot of people that would love to, to chat with you about future careers and stuff. I, I would 
be all over that. Like the amputees and the advancements we've made, a lot of guys kind of are still overlooked by, I think the dirt world I've, I've watched this happen. And there's so many hard charging guys that are missing limbs, but man, who cares? Like they have prosthetics that are phenomenal. Well, we just, we had a guy in here a month ago, Dylan Taylor. He doesn't have an arm and he doesn't, he doesn't have a leg. He's a laborer right now. It's and awesome. he's doing just fine. And I, I, I mean, I, have, I even asked him, he's a great attitude about it and makes, he's the first one to make a no arm joke, which I <laughs> really appreciate. Yeah. He's like, but, hey, can I give you a hand? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I asked him, I was like, so how do you, how do you shovel with one hand? And, and he explained, I'm like, okay, that checks out. That works. And they made a video about it. And I actually saw it. I'm like, shit. Yeah. I, okay. As long as you can shovel, it doesn't matter how you do it. He There's also no- talked about like, he's had a couple opportunities, you know, it was like during kind of snow season or they had kind of shut down a lot of just their fleet. And he's like, Hey, can I take, you know, like a mini excavator out and just practice and see if I can do it. Yeah. And just kind of like figure it out, you know? Well, and uh, yeah, equipment, it's not all that physical. I mean, it is. It is. I, I, like guys that have been in a, a bulldozer in rock for 10 hours. Yeah, it's physical. You feel that. It, it beats it, the hell out of you. Dude, yeah. yeah, yeah it's a, that's a rough time. I don't envy those guys at all. Um, so it is physical, but also, I mean, it's like the whole women in construction thing. A woman is just as capable in an excavator as a man is. You're using hydraulic power. Like it's, <laughs> they're electronic controls it's now. Not, it's not strength. No, it's not. It's not like I, I, some old, some of the old school equipment, very, very physical, you know, like the cables and fucking Garrett Wilson with his no devil's oil nonsense. <laughs> but but nowadays it's all electronic control and anybody is just as capable as anybody. Being a 300 pound guy doesn't give you an advantage. I, I totally agree. And I think that's where I, the, the segue there would be is I think there's an opportunity to really drive a lot of good people. That, that want a second chance, you know, like sometimes you, you I haven't lost a limb. I was, I almost died uh, for something stupid called malaria. Like that almost took me out. It's not near yeah. as, as cool if, if that's a thing. No, <laughs> that, that'd be a pretty lame way to go. It, I, I agree. Yeah. Like, oh, a mosquito got you. Getting, getting blown up is a lot more <laughs> dramatic. And, and I don't make light of like that situation. Like, I have lost friends and stuff and it sucks, but I think there is this weird, like you, it's hard to talk about, but we should. Right? Sure. Um, so when my, when my brother gets blown up, this is kind of funny hindsight and like, uh, so we golf together. Right. And I right prior to his deployment, he went and bought, I think a Harley and, uh, a set of golf clubs that he had measured for him. And I'm like five foot seven soaking wet. He's like six foot ish ones. I don't know, somewhere in that. So I see him and he's like, I'm just kind of like at the foot of his bed. He's out of it. He had just gotten out of surgery and he's got like halo gear all over him. And he looks like death. He looks like crap. And when he finally comes through, he's like, doesn't say hi, like, good to see you. He's like, you can have my golf clubs. Yeah, I like that. So I'm like, you can see where his mind is at. Like, in his mind, his life is over. So it's the yeah. mental piece, right? Yeah. So he's been processing this. And, and it's not that, okay, I'm not dead now, but my life is different. Um, and his arm, he, he kept all of his limbs, and it's because he was stubborn. Like, he's a stubborn fin. And his arms are, like, one shorter than the other one. He can't oscillate all the way. But through physical therapy, well, actually, so I'll go back to the story quick. He, I was like, no, you'll keep your golf clubs, right? But I'll take this knife. So he had this SOG, SOG yeah. knife, this sure. multi-tool that I loved. And so I still have it. I should have brought it. It's one of the best tools ever. And nice. I still used it like today. But uh, so anyways, he does somewhat recover about 28 surgeries later. And um, through physical therapy, though, he's been able to, um, until another injury that kind of came from this one, he's able to golf and play hockey. And, but it's all through adaptive physical therapy. So I think that's where the dirt world could really benefit from very hard driven, you know, very assertive people that want to advance, uh, showing them, Hey, this is a very viable path. Yeah. There's no reason you can't go back to, you know, 
the individual you spoke about earlier. Well, no, it just there's so much that's uh, from the military that's applicable to the dirt world. Sure. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to it because we need more people in the industry and the like the brotherhood component of it. That's a huge factor within the dirt world. We talked about that earlier. The just put your head down and slog factor, the, the being out in the elements factor. There's a lot of common factors there that apply directly to the dirt world. And honestly, a lot of the factors in the military apply to the dirt world more than a lot of the other industries vets get into. And I like, I just, I think we're missing out on quite a bit by ignoring the military a lot in a lot of ways. So I'll say this though, like personally, and I've watched a lot of my buddies and I've had this conversation in podcast settings and in just general coffee shop talk, whatever. One of the reasons why I think there's a barrier for guys from the military joining the ranks of construction is there is a very limited thought process. Like they put a cap on people in a lot of companies. So if you're from the military, you've been on many deployments, you've, you've been a critical thinker, you can you know adapt very quickly, you understand SOPs very quickly, you want upward mobility. Sure. And I watch so often that we put these blinders and we put uh, these ceilings on these people that shouldn't have ceilings. We should give them more latitude. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a... There's a, a thought process in the community and construction that it's very limited. We're going to keep you in this rank for so many years. Then you you have to do these things across train. Then you have upward mobility. And a lot of time it's, you have to have tenure. Well, you haven't been here for 15 years, so you're not going to get a chance to get on the excavator or, or, or promote to this. So we're not looking at the right metric, the data points. I think just because you've been in an industry for 20 years doesn't mean you're the right guy for that job. In fact, I would argue that maybe you should switch companies, switch careers potentially. Totally. And not saying all the time, but I think sometimes we look at like very vanilla, you know, linear. Linear growth is the only growth. Yeah. Well, I, and I've been <laughs> starting to beat this drum more and more. If, the, if where you work sucks, go somewhere else. Everybody's hiring. <laughs> I, and, and we have to incentivize companies to start doing things better. How, do, how does that happen? They have to hurt. If you suck, you need to feel that pain because you can't keep sucking. It's just, it's not going to work and you're doing everybody a disservice. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And even we were talking about truck drivers, uh, even just the mentality of truck drivers are just stupid. They're just fucking dumb. I hear that every day, by the way. Yeah. Every yeah. day. And <laughs> like in fairness, there is some, there is some value to that, that point. I've, you know, you'll, you'll, some truck drivers, you'll say, Hey, we, I need you to do this. Not even five seconds later, they're doing the complete opposite of exactly what you just asked them to do. Sure. So been there. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's also, if the narrative is truck drivers are dumb, you're going to get a bunch of truck, dumb truck drivers. Like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and, and just thinking somebody's a truck driver, like maybe they have the ability to, to manage people, be a foreman or lead maintenance operations or whatever it is, but you just put them in a box. They're in that box somewhat indefinitely. There you go. Well, and two, I think if you looked at it from a, a mind shift or, or mindset shift, if so go back to military life, why there's so much applicability in this conversation between military and, and construction in the dirt world is I remember certain leaders when I was a private, you'd make a lot of dumb decisions or dumb mistakes rather. Mm-hmm. And haven't, you, haven't been there. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is like I watched one guy that had, I, I don't know what he practiced in, but he, he had, he was a doctor of something, I forget what, and he was probably... 35 years old. And when he was a private, he was doing a lot of stupid things. And so was I, and so was everybody else that was under this certain individual's leadership. And, uh, 
we had a new leader come in and all of a sudden I watched all of our behavior shift. Hmm. Nothing else changed. So I, I think when you treat people like babies, like kids, they're going to have a ceiling mentally. So they make decisions and mistakes based off what they're kind of given. Correct. I'm not saying don't hold people accountable. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying is if you have poor leaders in the wrong roles, you are speaking life or death over them continually. So you actually put them in this box and there's so much stress oftentimes, right? Cortisol and everything else that goes into stress. You know, think about this. You're on this site daily. You're a piece of shit. You always do this. You always make this mistake, right? So what do you do? You go back and beat yourself up continually day in and day out. So you're actually telling yourself to make that mistake before you make it. Mm -hmm. So is, can he change? Should he change her? Whatever. Yes. But, but what if we pulled up from the situation and said, hey, that leader has been also taught the same thing. His leader did the same thing. How do we break this chicken or the egg cycle? Well, and that's why, I mean, we, we initially came up with the whole build it leaders concept is we recognized oof, a lot of these problems stem from leadership and yet no one is taught how to be a leader in the industry at all. At all. That's because it's tenure that gets you there. You're correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or just, just skill. You're a really good hoe operator. And you know how to how to load the hell out of trucks. And then they need someone to lead the mass X operation. So you're promoted to foreman. But that's a completely different skill set than loading trucks. You should probably always be in that truck because God's given you a gift. That's what I that's what I was thinking too. Is like, is there also a part of that that companies will say, well, we don't want to move you out of this thing you're very successful in because we lose the value of you. Well, well that happens all the time. Yeah. Like I talked to Pat Allen about that. It's, uh, yeah, you, you get to be so good. Like he was in a grader. He was so he was so damn good in that grader, he couldn't get out of the grader because they needed him so damn badly. Which is, it's just short-term thinking though. And that's, shoot, we just talked about this too. It's, um, you know, the concept of taking your highest performers and using them to go train others within the organization sure. to create other high performers. It, you have to give up that short-term thinking of, shoot, I'm not going to have this guy in the, I'm not going to patent the grader and we're going to hurt on production or meeting these certain deadlines in the short term. But long term, shoot, if I can take Pat and go teach five to 10, I'm giving Pat a lot of credit here. You're not that good, Pat. <laughs> you go, Pat Allen. Enjoy, yeah, pal. You're, you're not that good. I know he listens. Um, but if you can take him, figure out that short-term loss for that long-term gain you're going to be in a good spot. The language you used was can instead of relying on one person to be like your A plus player, take that like A player and have that person create a bunch of new A players. Sure. You know, it's like that yeah. that's the long-term like value you receive. Like you re you lose the short-term value of one A A player producing at you know that level. Correct. But then but then you have to teach them how to how to teach too. It's yeah. like we're sending Eric Jumper to Caterpillar in a few weeks to go learn from their instructors on how to teach. Sure. He's a really good operator, but he's never had to teach before. It's different. Totally and we, different. we've put him in a teaching position and he, he says that, he says, he's admitted, he's like, Shh, I don't know what the hell to do. So we have to teach him how to teach. It's cool. He has a skill set, but he doesn't have a skill set on how to teach. Um, and, and, and so like you were just saying with your example of leadership, even, you know, you, you guys were like to continue the example, a bunch of B players under a certain leader, but then you're a bunch of A players under another leader. It was the only thing that changed. It's and that's that's a crazy concept. And and two, sometimes it's like meeting people where they're at. Like so we had this chat earlier is like millennials suck at working or they don't want to work. And, and I would actually push back it's a on fact. that. Millennials are 
the stupidest people. I, I, I agree. I'm pointing at my yeah. millennial self, yeah. but you, you know, Idiots. but you know, let's, let's say, okay, well, period. Okay. I got it. Now what? Right. Exactly. Like we chatted about. Yeah. So like one example is I remember this one guy, he's a, he's a pretty good dude, but I remember him just always bitching about his guys. And, uh, he's like, I sent this guy on this street and I told him to, to go North, Northeast and then turn around and go South, Southwest. And he did it the wrong way. Who well, was this young kid? Probably never seen a compass in his life. Like, what if you said, hey, there's a hill, go up it. And then turn around because he's on a street sweeper in a new construction area. I'm like, just because he doesn't understand your lingo doesn't mean he's wrong. Yeah. But now he's a dumbass and you're angry with him. But what if he's young and he just doesn't know that? Well, one of why the do more, we care? One of, the, one of the more effective ways to, to figure that one out is to ask them, hey, all right, so I just explained this. How do you understand it? Well, back briefing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah brief back. And I learned that from JP at Echelon Front. There we go. And saw it with the with their FTX program. Like, damn, that is so simple, but so damn effective. Um, and that eliminates a lot of the problem. But that's a leadership skill. And if you sure. don't understand that, you just think people are dumb. So one thing, I, there's a connection I'd love to have you make. He's a lieutenant colonel just retired from the Marine Corps. And he's the first like old guard to like meeting millennials where they're at that I'm like, I told him the other day I got a man crush on him. <laughs> and we were talking through some stuff. So, and I'm going to get some crap for this and I'm okay with it. In the military, especially in the high driven, like, uh, you know, Rangers, SEALs, Green Beret type, you get a lot of A-type, very driven, barrel-chested freedom fighters, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember my first time in an active live shoot house. Like I was petrified. Would I share that with anybody? No, but I was scared. Like I'll say it now. So I went through, we screwed up. And I remember the first time we screwed up, we should have been expecting to screw up. They should have just known. Like they never done it with live bullets flying kind of over your shoulder almost, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a relatively safe environment. People do die. People do get shot. It's still bullets. Yeah. It's still bullets. Um, and it's something that I looked forward to, but I was so anxious. And then we screwed up. And I remember getting smoked. And it was in Washington, a cold morning, and there was ice in the puddles. And I remember sitting there in the front leaning rest, which is like a push-up position, with my feet elevated on a rock or front of the Humvee or whatever. And probably an hour or so. And we're just getting screamed at, you're a piece of shit, like all that typical stuff, right? And I remember the next year, like every time we had to think about a shoot house, I would just like clamor up. Mm. So it actually like made me not want to go and train. It made me not want to get better. And I started thinking about that. Like in the military, every time when I got put in a leadership position, I would reverse engineer my fear to say, how could I actually help this other kid, young kid, not have the same mistake happen to him and actually address the fear component of training? Mm -hmm. Because what if we can get over our own pride and say, hey, we have emotions. Let's just handle them. Right? We all have emotions. But so with that shoot house scenario, I found out that uh, a lot of things I should have known, even as a leader, I didn't because I was too afraid to ask and I didn't want to face that fear again. Sure. So I'd go through the motions and I would do the bare minimum. But I realized I was shortcut the ability to grow because my mind actually was going to that flight, fight, flight, or freeze. And I was trained that it's bad. You screw up, it's bad. So stay away from it. Avoid it. Instead of like, hey, you know what? We screwed up. This is what we screwed up. These are the mechanics we went through. But instead of doing this, let's do this. So we went through this, you're a piece of dirt, you're garbage. And I'm in my physical punishment. It's like beating a dog. It's not going to get better if you beat it. Yeah. So let's stop with the way we do things. Let's not, you know, bastardize our people because they make a mistake. Totally. I'm a, like one of the best things I've done in business is totally embrace how much of an idiot I am. Sure. It makes everything so much easier, so much easier. And uh, I mean, it's gotten to the point where like when I rolled the skid steer, everybody was, it, it, it was, it was oddly received in, in a very positive light. Like, man, you, you like, 
good for you putting that your mistake on the internet for hundreds of thousands of people to see. And it was, you know, hundreds of thousands of views and hundreds of comments and this and that. But I didn't think twice about it because it's like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm flawed. I screwed up. Here's what I learned. Hopefully not going to do it again. Check. Like it's because it served me so well to just do that than to try to think I'm perfect or anything like that. So that was my first intuition was put it on the internet, share the screw up for everybody to see. So where do you think that comes from? Like why, why do you have the ability to do that where most people would kind of pull back and want to hide it because you want to preserve, protect, right? It's been a bunch of, uh, I think it's been a bunch of baby steps to get there. Sure. I don't know. I've, um, funny enough, I'm, I'm just not really one of those macho men. Like just like fucking dude, because I'm, I'm not a very big guy. Like I weigh on a good day, maybe 140, maybe 140, uh, small guy. And I think that's actually an asset because I've, I've, I haven't had to be that big macho guy. So I've always been, and then my, my dad too, he's, um, he's, he's not, he, he's about my size too. So he's not one of those big macho men either. Like this big, you know, beating his chest, like just, just dad figure. Um, so I think that's actually helped me in that regard. Because hmm, I haven't had to feel like I have everything figured out or I'm some badass. And that's, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on that, but at least that's my theory at the moment. Well, it's interesting. So I think a lot of the concepts that I've talked about, and I know I've talked to people in your circles enough to know, like, I think we're culturally aligned with, we want the same thing. We want better treatment of our people. We want to make the environment easier to work in. Not saying it's going to be easy work, yeah. but you can have a hard day and enjoy it still, right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the more we do that, the more we put it on a pedestal to say, this is a fun environment to be in. We're creating better leaders, better people, better environments. Our productivities are going up. Quality of life goes up in general at the home front too. Because don't, don't act like if you have a crappy day, you're not going to bring it home. No. Like your wife and kids are feeling the effect of that, which only perpetuates and compounds the issue. Correct. Well, and it, go, and it goes both ways too. It, it, if your wife just asked for divorce a week, a week ago, you're, you're, you're a wreck at work. And then, and then that, that brings into the whole safety thing. And that's what pisses me off about a lot of the safety stuff and exposes it for what it really is. It's like, frankly, it's like where, where the whole COVID thing is at right now. Not a single, not a single word about eat healthy and go for a walk. When it's been proven that that's a long-term, really solid game plan. Because that's, it's not what it's really about a lot of, in a lot of cases. It's, in safety, it's, it's really just about limit liability and do what we need to do for the insurance companies and the lawyers and mental health isn't a sign isn't a component of that. And, but then you look at actual true safety and you're like, okay, so if I was really, really, and, and I, I, again, I don't want to criticize everybody paint too broad of a brush, but if I was really, really wanting to care for my people and the safety of my people, I need to think about the mental side of it because if his wife just asked for a divorce a week ago, he's not where he needs to be this week. He's not where he needs to be. And he's probably trying to act fine. He's probably going to the bottle every night, coming to work hungover. Like, that's a, that's a fucking hazard. He's likely still drunk. Yes, that happens. But it's 6 a.m., so we assume they're not. Sure. I was a trooper. I arrested many of guys in that scenario. Going to a site, and that's 6 a.m., 5 a.m. No shit. Yeah. From the night before, huh? Oh, yeah. Think, think about it. Like, I'm in Nashville right now. I didn't drink last night. You know, I wanted to go, and I, I ran five miles. I went and worked out and I went and checked the city out. It was cool. Yeah. 
But I have like, I'm on a mission right now. So I want to do the right things because I want to make sure my body is prepared to do what I want to do. So you didn't get pissed drunk last night? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> I, I made a conscious decision, decision not to ahead of time because sometimes, you know, having too much fun ends up wrecking everything else, right? So long story short, as you know, I, I understand like what we're talking about. I've, I've, I've watched, and I'll tell a quick story actually. Like one thing that was a catalyst for me to want to actually help this industry was I realized because I was, so, so I was a, a ranger on, I had three deployments and, and many schools and all that stuff. And I'm a hard charging dude. And like, I've been shot bullets at people and been shot at. Like that was my culture, hard charging ranger yeah. to state trooper. So I'm the same person with different uniform on, but now I like, I'm super hungry to get into the, to the dirt. Like I want to arrest people. I want to get into fights. I want to get into pursuits. Like that's what I was. I was driven. So I had more arrests, more stops, more like stats across the board than not everybody, but for like heavy drugs and, and different things like that a lot higher. Cause I was always turning over every freaking rock. Like I got creative. Like for instance, people drive in one direction on the road, you know, rural area where I knew like they would take these back routes from the bars. I would go on these mm. back roads, like, you know, 11 to 2 AM. I knew where they'd be kind of creeping through. So I'd just wait till a car goes past me. When you really look at them, if, if there's headlights were out, I'd stop them. They weren't speeding. What I would do is wait till they got past me. I would tap my brakes slightly because they'd see that I'm a cop car. I would tap my brake because they'd think, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm maybe speeding, so I'm going to slow down. So they tap their brakes. And there's always a third brake light that most people don't even know they have. That was one of the most like predominant stops I had because I knew that would probably be out. So I'd look at my mirror. Okay, got the mirror. Their, their uh, light is out. So the most random stops would get these like, you know, multi-state drug, drug run type operations, like some of the dumbest, dumbest criminal stuff that you can think about. I would stop with stupid, you know, third brake light violations. But anyways, all that being said, I was so driven uh, to, to make these arrests, to make these stops, whatever. Um, I, I became kind of robotic and I took yeah. the person out of the equation because I was just driven, man. I'm metrics. I want to do a good job. Correct. And I didn't think holistically to be a good cop, to be a good trooper was to treat the person at every stop as an individual person and say, what's going on today? How can I affect change today with them? Yeah. I might have to arrest them, yeah. but can I make a difference today? In the first couple of years, I, I couldn't see that. Well, and that's, but and a lot of that's probably left over from the military too, as far as like the dehumanization. I mean, that's just a historic military way of operating is you want to dehumanize the other side. So it makes it simpler. Sure. And to go kill people. Sure. When you're 18, that's that's against your your DNA. Sure. You gotta you gotta work on the brain to even get to that that place, and then you you leave the military. There's no there's no real like school on how to be a citizen of the United States of America after you just shot people in Afghanistan. There's no real separation there. So you go from deploying you know that military life to to that similar world but very different world at the same time, but you're still on that old operating system. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's easy to, to dehumanize. Or like we were talking to relate it back to the dirt world. We were talking about how I think a lot of people make the mistake of viewing human beings like equipment mm-hmm. as just a unit of production. That's all they are is a unit of production. And it's just not the case. They're human beings. And, and you're, completely, you're completely screwing yourself if you just view human beings as a unit of measure, unit of production, which... It seems like that would be the rarity, but that's probably a majority, the, the majority of the case in the industry. And it makes sense why we do it though. Like, totally. like mechanically, I, I understand you yeah. have to allocate resources uh, of hours. That's it. So you're putting everything into just a unit man hours and all man hours are equal. 
And so it starts in the estimating process and then you just plug human beings in from there. And it's just, it doesn't actually work that way. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. And I'll, I'll finish this quick story to, to kind of show you why my mind shift finally happened. It was like, I believe it was God that made this happen ultimately, but, uh, but the, let the listeners judge for that. But anyways, I remember I lateraled from a state patrol to a city agency. I wanted more like in progress crimes. I was sick of chasing taillights and the same drunk guy or, or whatever. And I didn't like the state patrol's mission. Like not that they're not an effective and needed, you know, resource. I just wasn't in cohesive lockstep with some of the way they, they operated. So I decided to lateral to an agency that actually paid better as well, closer to my house, hopefully better family hours, so to speak. Um, so anyways, I go there and I'm, I'm on like a swing shift and it just started to rain and I'm by this lake and it's uh, asphalt. So when asphalt gets wet, when it hasn't rained for a while, it gets that like oily, you mm-hmm. know, at the surface, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember it just started to mist and uh, in Washington, it, it does that once in a while. Sure. Um, I remember sitting at this T intersection and I'm the first car and opposing me, um, facing that direction was a, a, a dually truck lifted. Pretty common in that area. Well, this guy just hammers down when it hits green light. What he didn't see is when he did that, his back end spits out. Yeah. And he didn't see a pedestrian that had the right of way actually for this guy was turning and the pedestrian had the right of way. And so I'm watching this unfold and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's gonna die. Like that's how how close it was. Pedestrian luckily saw the behaviors jump back. So nothing did happen. So I go stop the guy and uh he's pretty heated at, at the the thought of me stopping him, clearly. So I get and I'm like getting five foot seven soaking wet. So I'm climbing up to his truck on his running boards, getting up in his window. Right. And he hands me his license and I'm pretty heat. I'm like, dude, what the heck were you thinking? You almost killed that guy. He's like, well, you know, kind of down that excuse path. And, but something happened, like something clicked when I saw his license, it said class A CDL. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So in my mind, this is amounted to reckless driving. Yeah. Based off what I saw, his behavior and his inability to understand what he just did. I'm thinking, okay. I was like, do you drive for a living? He's like, yeah, I drive dump truck. I said, okay. And historically, I've not treated dump truck drivers great, actually. I've been kind of painting them in negative light because we get called to the worst scenarios. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like a, a you know, fatality with a dump truck driver that was tired and fell asleep. Like some stuff like that. Like, and, and stuff does happen, but I painted the industry with a pretty broad stroke. So anyways, I talked to this guy. Hey, where do you work at? He worked for one of the main players. So it was, um, I, I'm, won't name the company today. I don't want to paint them in a bad light. They're a good company. Um, so I stopped and talked to him about it, where you work, all that stuff. And I was like, does your wife work? No. He had a kid in the back seat. So I assumed he, you know, was married, whatever. And uh, he's two kids, he says. His wife is a stay-at-home mom. Uh, one grade school kid and one kid not in school yet. He's the only breadwinner in that family. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I've got a quick second decision to make. Do I, do I affect an arrest on this guy and change his life forever? Because he will no longer drive ever again. His, his career is to, to drive truck. His CDL will be revoked. Correct. If he got a reckless driving. Yeah. 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 You got to be careful with the CDL. Mm-hmm. You do. And that's that's one thing that uh, I was concerned about. But I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't know if I can even do this, quite frankly. I don't know what the parameters are with this. But we're told as officers to uh, uh, make change, essentially, right? Like, we're supposed to get compliance at the, low, the lowest level possible. So if we can do it through education, through a verbal warning, written warning, ticket, arrest, whatever it is, that's kind of the goal is to shift behaviors from bad to good. So I'm thinking, I've been told this. I don't know how this will work, but I'm like, hey, um, do you understand how dumb that was what you just did? And he's like, "Ah," you know, still kind of an excuse pattern. I'm like, but I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give you a decision. A, I arrest you. You lose your job, your license, all that stuff. B, you write me a three-page letter explaining to me your behaviors and what those 
actions did, what they could have done and how dumb they were and showing me that you understand the, the, like the gravity of the situation. Um, and he obviously immediately grabbed that one. And, uh, so he's still kind of disgruntled though. So I walked away. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm like, if I don't get it by my Monday, which is my Friday, I'm going to essentially give a, uh, a summons or essentially you can write a ticket, send it in the mail criminal mm-hmm. and have them show up to court. If they don't show up, there's a warrant, you go arrest them. So anyways, uh, the next day he found my sergeant on a, on a, some kind of stop or something and handed him a letter sealed. And he said, Hey, this is for your officer. And, and I just want you to know, and paraphrasing, he's like, what he did changed my life forever. Hmm. Like the depth of that decision that he made in a split second radically shifted my mindset to anti-cops, anti-establishment to we're on the same team. Like we're stakeholders in this together. And my Sergeant pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, that was really cool. And I actually got chastised by other leaders later on by breaking protocol, which is unfortunate. Sure. But since that day, I'm like, all right, you know, we are stakeholders in this together. So like going back to the allocation of resources, when certain people, the CFO role looks at it, like the numbers game, their job is to play numbers, but how do we create a collaborative effort between like build what you guys are doing and not always being angry about the people that are on the other side, but how do we bridge that gap? Everybody's on the same team. hundred percent, but it doesn't yeah. always feel like it though. I'll say no. that much. No, and in 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 that guy's defense, I I have a diesel truck, and if I even think of putting my foot on the throttle when I'm at a stop on even <laughs> a slight hill, my 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 rear tires are spinning so fast. Sure, it's, it happened this morning, and sure. it's just it is the most frustrating thing ever. Sure, like come come on, come on. I I look like an asshole here because I'm spinning my tires on a stoplight. Sure, but um, uh, yeah, and that's that's a it's a huge thing. Is is everybody's on the same team, and and all these. All these contractors, I really don't, who even are, you know, quote unquote, bad companies. I don't view them as assholes. They're not assholes. They're good people sure. doing what they've always done. They're just not up to speed with where the world's going. That doesn't make them bad. Sure. But at the same time, they need to learn their lesson. Things need to change or else we don't have an industry. And me with 40 years on the clock, I I take that pretty seriously. Sure. Um, and then you have, you know, the the clear distinction between the office and the field. That's a very common one. Very common one. Us versus them or construction workers and the public. Like if you've ever been on a road job, oh, oh my Jesus, it is just, you just get abused. You just get abused all day, every single day. And you don't think it's common, but you see a really negative part of humanity. I mean, just getting, it's like, I'd be an 18 year old kid and some lady in a, a you know, Mercedes is swearing at me. You're like, you're like, yeah, yeah, lady, you're right. I woke up today thinking, you know what? I'm going to fuck your day up. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm not here to, I don't know, put this storm drain in so your house doesn't flood and in hundred year events. That's, that's not, I'm, I'm here to really screw your life up. Like, come on. It, it's, it's just, and then it really starts to, to build resentment, like screw these people, but you're really serving these people. Sure. You know, because they live here and because they need this infrastructure, you have work to and and a product to provide society and then because you're there their house isn't flooding it we're pretty aligned here sure but it's yeah well and that's one thing i i told uh, i was talking to benjamin yesterday actually for a bit and uh the alec watch out for that guy i know so the the alec baldwin uh shooting right like on the set like i was laughing about it like dude the the most anti 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 second amendment guy that's been vocal about it shoot somebody Mm -hmm. like and someone made a comment, if he took one NRA class, he wouldn't have done it, right? Like, 
you know, you, you check your weapon before you do anything with it. You act like it's loaded, all those kind of principles that we teach. And if you're pro-gun, you, you understand and you treat the gun with respect. Sure. It's a tool. Like any other tool, you have to use it, you know, in the right manner. But anyways, I'm driving on the road and I had this weird thought of like, man, I should, I should pray for that guy. Like, well, I hate that guy. He's been anti everything I stand for as long as I've known him as an actor. What should I pray for this guy? And I started being convicted about the idea of this industry. I think we create a vacuum of we're the right, we have the right answer. We're the right way. Our culture is better. And I'm not arguing that. There's so many principles, I think, in the conservative blue collar communities that are way stronger that have brought America a lot further than a lot of the left progressive stuff, right? But I started to think about, okay, we have a problem right now. We have a lack of employment. We can't hire enough people. Like everywhere I look, you know, McDonald's is given $500 signing bonuses. Like, yeah. And, and so I'm like, how do we, how do we bridge this gap? And I, and I feel that from my perspective, because we serve, we're in the, we develop technology. We have a tool that serves the blue collar dump trucking, you know, aggregate moving industry. So we're very immense in that, in that culture. But also I deal with, you know, from Ford down to startups, we deal with every industry. We're agnostic. And I started to realize, like, we have to bridge this gap. We have to understand we need the other side of the aisle to actually make our jobs easier. Some of our problems are not, they're not just dirt world problems. They're a societal, as we're saying, a societal issue. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, with my power, which is like none, with my amount of money or influence is like none. How do I, Jordan, make a difference? And I think sometimes it starts with the conversations. So yes, there's dumb things that the other side of the aisle does, but how do we bridge that gap? And I'm not saying we go to the Nancy Pelosi's and try to change your mind. You're, you're, you're likely not, but I think it comes through dialogue. Really? <laughs> I feel some facetious behaviors. Yeah. No, um, but I guess my thought is if, if we can change, change our dialogue to say, let's pull them into the narrative. We all want to have a better country, more affordable living in theory. Sure. The less employees we have, the harder it is to get jobs done on time, the, the higher cost it, it takes to build these buildings, whatever. Um, the cost of living goes up. You want to build a house? Guess what? It's going to be 10% more this year. Mm -hmm. you, know, our, our, uh, you know, the idea of our supply chain is so choked off right now. You can, you can kick and scream and yell all you want, but your house is going to cost more money to build. Yeah. Well, and even the supply chain issue, it's a matter of infrastructure and truck drivers. It's, <laughs> that's it. It's you need to move goods and services around. Sure. You don't move goods and services around without infrastructure. That's where it starts. But going back to your Alec Baldwin example, the, the, the different perspective there from a, like having the at least sympathy for the guy sure, or even empathy, like to be a guy, regardless of what he said about gun control, karma's a fucking, it'll, <laughs> it'll get you is, is one of the morals of this story. But to, to say like, I don't feel bad for that guy. Like the guy just killed someone. Sure. Didn't intend to kill someone. The weight that you have to carry around, I can't even imagine the mental toll. And that doesn't go away. No, it does That's with him the rest of his fucking life. And you just, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Even, even, you know, no matter who he is, no matter who he stands for, whatever. Like you just have to have a little bit of understanding at the same time. Like he's a human being. I'm a human being to carry that around the rest of his life sure that's brutal that is brutal and i don't like i don't wish that upon anybody so but just to have that level of understanding it helps you operate so much more effectively as a human being i feel like sure and 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 in the in the industry we serve blue collar world um we lack a lot of that empathy sure well and that's where i was going is i'm not i'm not saying to go and, and change your behaviors necessarily on a lot of regards you know a lot of foundational principles that your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have instilled into you 
to work hard every day, to show up regardless of your feelings. Those are very deep values that are hard to just find, right? Mm-hmm. To want to go spend 12 hours in the rain today, knowing I'm getting paid 12 bucks, it's probably more now, whatever it is, 15, 17 bucks an hour to run a shovel. That's a hard thought to, to chew on, to want to go do that. Yeah. So there's something in your core that I would never say to replace, but I do think there is this culture of very hostile, very like a vacuum of toxicity that we lack that empathy piece. And I think that goes very far. And that's one thing I think you guys are doing is putting empathy on a pedestal to say in your environment, do you have the ability to stop long enough to think about what you're doing and saying to apply it through different filters, one of which being empathy. Sure. Well, and one, I, we talked about them earlier this morning. Um, someone who's, who's we've been involved with, with our business, Rich Devaney. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called The Attributes, um, former member of the SEAL teams. He, he, he tells a story about how they somewhat reframed the, the enemy and there'd be these kids that run out in the road and with an RPG shoot mm-hmm. at the American convoys. And, and as he says it, you know, in his words, they're dealt with. But then they were sitting around and they were, you know, they were, they were sitting and, and talking and saying, you know, if I was a 15 year old kid, I had no male influences in my life. My father's dead, brother's off somewhere fighting or dead. I need to support this family. Somebody offers me more money than I could make in a month or a week even to go take a RPG and shoot it at the next American convoy that comes by. Like how many of us in that situation would say absolutely? And they all raise their hands. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I sat there and thought about it. I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. That's very easy to see. And just putting yourself in that position and thinking, holy shit, that's crazy. And, and it doesn't change the fact that they're trying to kill them and they need to deal with them. Sure. It doesn't change that. But at least you have this different level of understanding, which I think is very valuable in the, in the grand scheme of things. Sure. No, that's, that's true. I remember one time we were uh, in strikers in Iraq and, uh, it's my third deployment. So I'm, you know, at that point we had to rotate through, it's called a, um, TC or tank commander. So like my upper torso is above, you know, out of the strikers. So I'm getting to kind of coordinate with like Rommel, um, like your half of you is outside of the, oh, the yeah, yeah, machine. Yeah. <laughs> You're leading the charge. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in the medical vehicle. I'm the fourth unit in and, and I'm coordinating with, uh, you know, for, I'm in charge of navigation and stuff and, and, with some of our assets that communicate with air assets and everything else. And so I'm kind of the eyes, the ears, right? And I'm leading the rest of the strikers. I'm in charge. And, uh, you know, I have a lot higher ranking people underneath me, but at this point I'm in charge for the most part, right? There's always this weird kind of uh, dichotomy of who's really in charge at what point, right? Yeah. But anyways, I remember uh, the second striker, because we're going on a corner and there was an uh, Iraqi police uh, kind of laying on the ground, half up against a wall and you're sleeping. And I don't think the driver saw him because you have a very narrow field of vision when you're driving these. And it's dirty, dusty, dark, under night vision. And remember, he, he ran him over. He killed the guy. And I'm watching it unfold. And I'm like, I, it's not like I have a, like a quick, hey, stop. It's, it's this quick. I didn't see him until it was happening. And I remember like people chuckling about it. And sometimes that's just a masking. Like you, you don't know what to do with it. So you use sure. emotion yeah, to, yeah. to process, right? Yeah, and that's very real. So not judging that because sometimes you have to use tactics to get through life when you're in that situation. I started to think about it. We laughed and we didn't do anything. Now this guy's living, a, you know, working a hard job, getting paid peanuts, but he's trying to better his country. And American forces just ran him over and now we're laughing, which they don't know that. But we've could have called the battle station owner in the military and said, hey, let's find out who his family is, pay him 20 grand to, to help alleviate some of the burden. And not because I want to pay everybody that gets hurt and it's a casualty of war, 
But what's the end outcome over there? To find a couple of people or win some hearts over to actually change a culture. Mm-hmm. And I think we created more enemies potentially with our process because we didn't have empathy as a, as a, as a tool. Correct. Well, and like the results speak for themselves. <laughs> Dude. Which is the shame of it. But yeah, it's like the data's in. It, it is. It's, uh, but the cool part about that is, you know, we're some of all of our experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm seeing with you guys and what you're doing is you're like, all right, I'm not going to use the uh, picture of insanity to, to do the same thing, expect different results. You guys are like, no, let's, let's stop and break the cycle. We, we know the data is not good. We know the trajectory might be financially good right now because of where construction companies are, you know, their narratives are pretty good there. But the trajectory for 20, 30 years is not great. It's not no. great at all. No, and that's where I'm coming from is I'm not looking at today's financial report, which is really, really good. I'm sure. looking at, okay, so we have this people problem right now. Sure. And it's pretty damn desperate. Sure. Five more years of this? Sure. 10 more years of this? 15? Sure, we have this huge recession. A lot of people are out of business. Okay, we're, we're temporarily okay. Long-term, is it going away? No. And we're just going to keep talking about it? What? Uh, we need to do something here. And it's just getting more and more and more urgent. It is. And one thing I'll say is I do think certain people have been given gifted in their DNA, certain ways to think and see things and be able to pull above the tree line, as I say. So, you know, to, to pull out of construction and talk about what I'm trying to, you know, show an example of. So I, I'm in the business development lane of Zeratech software development. I'm, I'm trying to build software and, and sell our services, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm on a sales call in person and I met with the guy and talking about some cool stuff, but I didn't necessarily love the angle he was taking. So I wanted to kind of check it to see what his motives were. And, 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 I, and I started talking and something came out and didn't, didn't see coming out. And I was like, you know what? We might build technology, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And I'm like, what does that mean? So I stopped and thought about it. And, and he's like, what? And he kind of sees his cockeyed, cockeyed look. And I was like, what do I mean by that? Let me qualify that statement. I don't believe as society, we've been good stewards of technology. They're getting away from us and we're not dictating what we should do with them. So the Facebooks, Facebooks of the world and the amount of privacy and, and you know, TikTok and all these other apps that are out there, I, I don't think they're bad by the fact that they're just a utility, but yeah. there's an intentionality with weaponizing them against human beings right now. Well, it's like firearms. It, it is. A gun's not bad. But we put parameters around them for the most part. Yeah. We have safety classes for them. We know how to treat them. So my theory is with technology, we have to as a society stop and say, what do we want technology to do for us? And, and have a collective conversation instead of letting a few big conglomerate companies that are looking at money, they don't care about people. They care about money. They can say Period. all they want, but their behavior shows everything but. Yeah. They care about people. They wouldn't <clears> do the <throat> things they're doing. So that's where I told him. And I'm like, I love technology if it's stewarded correctly. And going back to what you guys are doing, I think you're actually able to pull above the tree line and say, hey, we're not your enemy, but some of the, the tactics you're doing right now are actually your own worst enemy. So I think that's why I'm so like in love with this process of what you guys are doing and where it's going. Well, I mean, the industry's been the architects. Like the industry's designed the problem we're, we're facing sure. right now. And it's the concept of extreme ownership with Chaco. That's our problem. Like we created this problem and now it's ours to fix. Sure. No one's coming to save the day. Sure. Amazon's not coming to say, you know what? <sighs> yeah, we are hiring a lot of your people. Let's, we're going to stop that. We're actually going to help you guys get a bigger workforce. Sure. They don't care. They don't care. 
No other industry cares about us. They all depend on us. They all need us. Sure. Going back to sure. same team, same result. Sure. But they're not here to help us. We got to help ourselves. If we don't help ourselves, we're not around. And if we're not around, what does society do? Sure. I don't know. Nothing. Because going back to the earlier point, no power, no water, no roof over people's heads, no roads. Sure. You saw Texas this past year when Dude. the place froze and a few power plants shut down. Pandemonium. A few power plants shutting down. Pandemonium. The supply chain's still affected from that too. Yeah. It's, well, that's a large reason why you can't get um, these microchips for cars because a lot of the plants are in, are in Texas, believe it or not. They, nope. they you know, and people are, you know, they, they've created all these weird explanations, but that's a large part of it is all these plants had to shut down in Texas. Sure. And they can't produce these, these semiconductors anymore. Um, or you have, you know, one pipeline shut down on the East Coast and the place goes fucking mad. Everybody's people are filling up plastic bags with gasoline. Like, <laughs> what is what is happening? What is happening? And, and how vulnerable are we as human beings? And the Texas thing reframed everything for me. I'm like, shoot, I am, I am really vulnerable. Sure. I am very dependent on everything. Sure, on everything. Like, sure. if my water gets shut off, I don't have water. Like, I don't even have ten gallons sitting around. Like, I'm just screwed. Sure. Or I don't have a box of pasta sitting in there that I could cook on a. Uh, propane camping stove. Like, I'm just, I'm just screwed. So it, it helped reframe everything for me. Speaking of being prepared, I, I was uh, humbled yesterday running through Nashville and I was, um, South Carolina actually is phenomenal in this sense. There's not a lot of homeless there. It's not like culturally like yeah. popular. And I think, you know, like Oregon and that area where I was at for 12, 13 years, it was like super popular. Very. And, and now very. it's like more, more presence there. Like you can't go to city park without finding heroin needles on the ground. Right? Yeah. So anyways, yeah. I digressed, but I saw, uh, I shouldn't chuckle, but it's, what do you do? There was a, a little homeless scenario going on and I didn't see anybody buy it, but you can tell they had a little camp set up and I saw a mousetrap, a couple of mousetraps set or mice, mice traps. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Mousetraps. Mouses traps. Um, <laughs> anyways, I'm like thinking about the the depravity and and you know where you have to be that's your kind of your everyday and that's think what's surviving is you're catching mice i've yeah. been there i've done that in scenarios where it's like kind of like testing your abilities to survive but your, your reality is that um one thing i want to ask you guys and and i'll kind of start with us to see we've shifted and i've seen a big difference i'm gonna ask you what you guys have done and, and what you plan to do with this but like a, a mission focused company versus a company that just exists and one thing I've noticed is, uh, so my younger brother, Brett, he's been phenomenal at creating a culture and a culture that's on a mission. Sure. And one thing I've noticed big difference is like when we are hiring people and even in leading people, it's like, we hire you to a role because we trust you. We believe in you. We're hiring you to the skill set we need you at. And then when we do that, we, we equip you with the right tools. We empower you. And then we get the hell out of your way. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a big difference with the way our people work operate and the cohesiveness that we built is, is just, it's mind blowing different. Whereas you talk to people that have been there for years of like, this is pretty toxic culture for many years. Didn't we, we didn't, doesn't mean we can't provide the services, but it wasn't the same level. And the internal dialogue was never great. So we always had this weird kind of this bad, it was toxic culture. It really was. So since my brother and, and myself and a few others have come in, have really radically changed, we're on a mission now and it's changed the way we operate. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, we don't chase a dollar anymore. We chase service. We chase culture. We want to, we truly care about who we deal with. Like making a difference every day is something we truly believe in. Like with technologies are bent, if we can use technology to, to speed up your process by 
0.2%, but over the year you're making out $100,000 for a small company. It's a big deal. So that's our difference, right? For you guys, I see you're on a mission and I kind of want to hear like maybe how you guys are using that mission to affect the culture here. And as you get out and talk to other companies, how do you really affect that, that if you can, that the sense of mission to their companies? Um, I mean, the mission, it's really central to everything. And it's just a, it's really nice to have. It makes decisions a lot easier. Sure. Like there's a, a company I'm working with right now, or we, we hope to work with. And it's a company I've wanted to work with for three years now. And it's taken a long time to get here. But our purpose is not to go serve them. It's to go make the dirt world a better place. Sure. And so through service to them, I believe we can go make the dirt world a better place. But if they make us work for them in a certain manner that doesn't allow us to make the dirt world a better place, I don't give a shit. And even if they, I've wanted to work with them badly for three years, if working with them doesn't help further our mission, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just a non-negotiable. I really don't care. Um, and so it's just made those hard decisions a lot easier. It makes it so much more clear, so much more clear. And this whole pivot we're undergoing right now as a business, and it's going to be pretty substantial. We haven't talked about it a whole lot publicly yet. It's all, it all starts with, with our mission. You know, we can't go, we can't go make the dirt world a better place as this small marketing agency. We need to go create a massive organization. Sure. That's the only, the only path to success as I see it. So we're not creating this massive organization with all this potential to go generate an enormous amount of wealth. I think that's uh, a byproduct and that's fabulous. And shoot, I want to be well off. I want to create a lot of well off people. Money is fun. It's how the world operates. I'm all for it. But that's not where it starts from. And it starts from let's go make the industry better. And I think that's one of our biggest competitive advantages is even if another company with a billion dollar pocketbook came in, they could be a thorn in our side for sure, but they're ultimately beholden to shareholders or whatever it may be. We're not, we're beholden to our mission. And that speaks a lot louder to this industry than someone out to go make a bunch of money. So I don't, I don't think we can do what we are going to do without, without the mission. I think you can have a business that's not mission focused. Obviously you can get away with it. Uh, but I don't think you can go create a great business that does anything substantial without a mission and a higher purpose. Sure. And I think what you, what I just heard is if I'd like to go back brief, that is you're taking a mirror and you're, you're doing this everywhere you go, instead of having that mirror reverse, looking at like, look at what we're doing. That's it. I told someone that the other day, they were, they said, this is what we, we, we want. This is how we want to be shown to the marketplace. And I just told them and you know, spoiler alert, we're not working with them <laughs> because they're, we're not what they want. Sure. I'll leave it at that. They want to be polished. They're not necessarily polished because they work in a business that's not polished and should not be polished, but they want to be polished anyway. Okay, cool. We don't do that. And I said, all we are is a mirror. I'm just going to point a, a mirror at you and whatever you look like is what you're going to look like. Hmm. So if you don't like the picture, I don't know what the fucking tell you. I'm just, I, it's just a mirror. That's it. That's all we do. I don't, I don't, and, and sure, we do make things prettier, of course, and, and, and a little bit more elegant. And, uh, you know, we are good with cameras and video and this and that. Um, but we, it's not bullshit. It's not made up. It's not, you know, 
when I go to a job site, I take photos as is and that's it. Like, I don't like to make it up or anything like that. Sure. So yeah, that's, that's all we do. That's, that's awesome. And that's where I think the millennials get a lot of, get a lot of crap, but I am seeing a lot of younger business owners starting to, to recognize that is like, you know, you watch a lot of people that have a lot of affluence, money, position to power, whatever. And then it's like, that doesn't drive real peace in your heart. It doesn't really drive joy. But if you're on a mission yeah. and you're changing, you know, every day you're changing the environment you're in for the better. Like there's a true like peace and happiness that comes with that. Totally. And, and I tell, I'm the first one to say, don't get me wrong. I want a ridiculous amount of money. Sure. A ridiculous amount of money. One of the first things I said you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, it was a picture of a 374 excavator. And that's a $700,000 machine. Sure. Maybe five, seven, depends where you buy it. I don't know. But uh, it's an expensive machine. And I said, I want one of these. I, and, and I just want one. I just want one to go dig holes. That's it. And, and people are like, that's, that's insane. And it still sounds insane. That's stupid. But I'm sure as shit going to go get one. How do I get one? Well, I don't say, hey, Caterpillar. I'm doing a lot of good in the world. Can I have a 374, please? Sure. They'll say, no, you still need to pay us for that thing. And uh, Here's my unicorn dust. Come yeah, on. and everybody that works for our company, they don't feed their families using goodwill and sure. the difference we're making in the world and this and that. It all comes down to money. Sure. The business still needs to operate as a business. Um, but to have something higher that informs your decision-making, it makes everything so much easier. And, and well... Not necessarily easier. At least it's been easier for me. But sure. we've lost a lot of work. We've had our asses beaten a lot for it. Sure. And a lot of people don't see that because I don't make it all that public. But we've lost out on a lot because we just say, this is what we believe in. Either you're on board or not. If you're not on board, I don't know what to tell you. I think also what's different, and you might experience this too with more mission-driven, like how you, you build your work and your company, the make a dirt world a better place thing, it informs huge decisions, but it also informs really small decisions because there have been a lot of things like, I mean, even with the way we've built this podcast, which, you know, Aaron was just doing by himself for a while. And then, you know, we, we've kind of grown, we've increased production and all those things. But when we like, you know, whether it's going to be an investment or, you know, just add time to whatever we're doing, or maybe we'll bring this kind of guest on. The question is always, well, does it further the mission? Sure. And if, you know, we start filming the podcast, that, that allows more people to kind of get to know our guests, sure. to get to know what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Of course, that furthers the mission. Exactly. And, and like, it literally, I mean, it can be the smallest things in the world. You know, it can be, you know, oh, we need to make sure to have more water bottles in the office because people visit us all the time. And wouldn't that be nice if we could just increase like their the joy of their visit here or whatever like little things like that we don't do that because it would be cool we do it because oh yeah it goes along with make the dirt world a better place and so I, I like that for us the mission is this big like umbrella over everything we do but it's also like the lens for every decision well even like who comes on the podcast yeah it doesn't make the dirt world like we get we're throwing people quite a bit now. I've had I've had a couple people who are would be killer guests from like a interesting conversation perspective. Yeah, that it's like yeah, but you just have nothing to do with what we're talking about. Sure. So yeah, so it's not that yeah they're not interesting. It just doesn't align with our mission. And hey, that's it. Yeah, like, and, and I'll and I'll 
I'll just go ahead and turn down some of those people. Others I'll send to Aaron and be like, hey, does this feel like a, a good fit for us and what we do? And a lot of times you'd be like, nah. But sometimes you'd be like, actually, yeah, I really see how that could sure. you know, be different or be interesting. But the only thing that's driving would that be good for the podcast is doesn't make the dirt what a better place. Sure. Well, I really need to pee. That's probably a good place to wrap it up. On that note, I don't even know how long I've been going for. We are at one hour and 20 minutes. That's pretty good. Pretty solid. It was quick. It was pretty I know. Quick, I mean, huh? I, I feel like there's certainly plenty of uh, other places to go if we wanted, but yeah, yeah. I it just means we have to do another one later. I, it's in the cards. Did I don't you, know. If, did can you I, drive out here? Or did you I, fly? No, I drove. Yeah, it's not that bad of a drive. No, it's actually awesome. kind of a nice drive. Drive to the Smokies. You can't yeah. beat that. I I do the yeah the, beautiful yeah colors are changing yeah mm -hmm. um but you know kind of in closing I obviously I appreciate you guys inviting me out here yeah. uh, Nashville is a great place awesome. um but the fact that you talked about just a small media agency. The cool thing is, is so many people out there I've talked to, like I'm in the business world and people are like BuildWit, like there's a name out there right now and they don't see BuildWit as a media agency. Sure. So I think, you know, speaking that word of truth and, and, and life over your yourselves and your establishment are so important. But the cool thing is, is like people that would never think in a million years would gravitate towards what you're doing are gravitating towards what you're doing. So I think there's more people that you wouldn't even know are out there that are listening that, that need to listen to more of this because they know that change is coming and they want to get in front of it. Yeah. And it's really, really like, to me, I'm like, all right, you guys are onto it. And, and we might, cause we serve dump truck companies across the country and we're, we're still a small company. Right. But every single day, like we, we truly believe the same things you're believing. Like we want to make this world a better place. We want to give these, these drivers more time with their families. We want to make their lives easier. It's not about a technology. I mean, I don't want to make their lives harder. Sometimes technology might do that. Sure. If we don't have to track anything for them, they just drive, then great. Get them home on time. But long story short, I think we're on the same mission, and I'm so excited about where you guys are going. And you guys are making a name out there because we're hearing it in other industries. And that, to me, is like cross-pollination. When you can take other skill sets and bring them what you're doing, that's when you win. So I'm excited, and I definitely appreciate you know the mission you're on, and I, I believe in it. I'm a cheerleader. I appreciate you coming out here for this. Hey, where can people follow like what y'all are doing? So we don't have as big a social presence, and that's one thing I'm hoping to collab with you guys on. But uh, our big Zaretech is our software development company. Um, we're on Facebook and on Instagram for that. And then our uh, dump truck SaaS product is called Load Tracks, and that's uh, same thing: Facebook and uh, Instagram, and maybe some other ones. I don't I don't really deal with that anymore. But cool. I'll make sure like the links and stuff are in the the write up for the podcast, so people can catch up with all that. Perfect. Thank you. Check. Thanks. Cool.